Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, journalism is not a crime, President Biden declared on Saturday at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. In his remarks, Biden demanded the immediate release of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who has been declared wrongfully detained in Russia. On March 29th, the Russian government arrested Gershkovich for espionage, a charge that both the Wall Street Journal and the U.S. government flatly deny. As of 2021, hostile governments are or have been holding more Americans hostage than terrorist or militant organizations. We'll take a closer look at Gershkovich's situation and what it represents after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Last year, when a prominent Russian opposition voice, Ilya Yashin, was sentenced to prison for more than eight years for criticizing the war in Ukraine, Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich covered the story. He tweeted, Reporting on Russia is now also a regular practice of watching people you know get locked away for years. It is now Gershkovich who has been wrongfully detained on false espionage charges, according to the U.S., making him the first accredited American journalist to be arrested on spying charges in Russia since the end of the Cold War. We take a closer look at Gershkovich's arrest and what it says about the situation there. And joining me now are two journalists who cover Russia. Steve Rosenberg is Moscow correspondent for the BBC, currently in Moscow now. Welcome to Forum, Steve. Thank you very much indeed. And Max Seddon is with us, Moscow Bureau Chief for the Financial Times and a good friend of Evan Gershkovich's, joining us from Latvia. Max, glad to have you as well. Thanks for having me. I'll start with you, Max. How did you find out about Evan's arrest and and what went through your mind when you did? I'll be honest with you. It's it's been a month, and I still still haven't quite quite processed it because Mm. uh, I I just. uh, Got got to the the U.S. Uh, was 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 on vacation and you know, woke up jet lagged in the middle of the night to to see the announcement from the the FSB the uh, the KGB's successor that that had arrested Evan on espionage charges and I've been you know during during my layover from Europe I've been texting him on 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 the way over just just about you know dumb dumb stuff and uh, it's 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 been this absolutely surreal experience to see. Uh, Evan, you know, someone someone who I've known uh, for for many years as an uh, excellent reporter and uh, and person, and uh, with 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 whom I, I I've been present in the courtroom at many uh, surreal uh, Rus- Russian trials, watching watching the, the the defendants in the in this glass cage where where they keep them in, mm-hmm. in Russian courts. So to see him uh, in in one himself uh, last last month was 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 just beyond surreal. So 
this this has been uh, I think I think even you know knowing knowing all the risks and uh, how, how 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 fraught the situation has been for for reporters in Russia, not just for the last year but for several years, this is something that that was really uh it's 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 been quite difficult to to take on board it's been really quite shocking i i will i will say that yes i i can imagine so and i'm i'm so sorry for what you're going through around that i understand evan is a quote unquote accredited reporter from the wall street journal can you just explain what that means well so every journalist who who works in in russia for foreign media you get a press card from me Russian Foreign Ministry, uh, which which uh, is is your your official official Russian press press ID. It's uh, signed signed by a deputy to uh, Maria Zaharova, the Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman, and uh, it, it is your ticket into uh, uh, just just about any any government uh, event or, or building where you know they they might let you or or someone will speak to you. And it's also in 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 my experience, uh, it's it's been my ticket out of uh, some some uh, of the hairier situations. I got myself into uh, over over my years reporting in Russia. What's important? Uh, not not only was was Evan uh, working uh, completely legally in, in a country just doing his job like a normal journalist. It's important to add that uh, as as part of uh, the process of getting this, this accreditation, you have to uh, pass some some sort of background check. And so I think that's a very important thing to remember when you you look at these. Uh, Absurd uh, espionage charges that, that Evan has been has been faced with. Uh, not not only uh, you know are are they absurd. Uh, uh, the uh, Russian side they they know that the charges are are absurd because they because they uh, every every three months when when Evan had to renew his his visa over the last year you know that this this background check was was part of uh, that right. that whole scenario. Right. Well, Steve, you are in Moscow now. You're a longtime Moscow correspondent and currently Russia editor for the BBC. How do you feel about your personal safety following Krishkovich's arrest? Well, obviously, it makes you think. I mean, um, you know, together with Max, we were, over the last few years, we've witnessed um, many Russian journalists who are independent of the authorities, journalists and bloggers, uh, being prosecuted by the authorities. Uh, but we haven't seen Western journalists uh, being arrested. So it was certainly a wake-up call. I think it, it's a reminder to us that this is not business as usual. It's a reminder you know, that the old phrase, the Russian authorities would never do that, would they, no longer applies. Whether it's they would never annex Crimea, would they, or they would never launch a, a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, would they, or they would never arrest a Western reporter on spy charges, would they? They obviously would. Uh, so it's the feeling is that you know there are no rules anymore. You know, thinking back to the Cold War, there were rules, right, uh, under which the United States and the Soviet Union operated during the Cold War. Those rules are gone now. Certainly, Russia's not playing by the rules. Uh, so uh, for those remaining in Moscow, obviously, we have to keep this in mind, and it's a it's a judgment we all make. I think each of us. Can you describe? If and if so, how your ability to report on Russia has changed, especially since it invaded Ukraine? Steve. Well, I mean, thinking back to February 22, um, which was a crazy time, you know, uh, very few of us thought that Russia actually would launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. It did. Uh, we continued to travel across the country after that. We continue to report, we continue to 
to speak to Russians, uh, to report their different views. I think it was important to do that. Um, clearly, with the arrest of Evan Gershkovich, you know, we have to reassess, uh, think, think very carefully about the stories we do, uh, but try to continue as we possibly can to tell the story about what's happening here. I mean, it's 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 not easy, uh, but but important. Have you thought about leaving? Is the BBC asking you to leave? I mean, at the moment, we we continue to report uh, as we as we can. I, I imagine, as a journalist, and and this is for you as well, Max, that that there's a certain ambivalence about about not being there because stories need to be told. People need to know the realities of the actions of the Russian government. Is that a conundrum that you have felt, Max? I, I think I think it's uh, an, issue, an issue that all of us have felt. And I can tell you that Evan absolutely, you know, felt felt very strongly about this uh, him, himself. Uh, he, of the uh, uh, Western journalists who, who left in the immediate aftermath of the war, he was one of the uh, the first to go to go back, uh, the 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 first to to really um, uh, do do a lot of stuff uh, that you know other other reporters and especially Russian reporters, many of whom were Evans' friends, you know, felt they were only safe uh, doing doing it from abroad now under under Russia censorship laws. And this is something that Evan felt very strongly about. We had many conversations about this that uh, as as long as they were giving us those accreditation cards as long as we were still uh, be, being accredited to to official events we we we, we would be on your know, calls with with Putin's spokesperson and uh other other things like that 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 we had you know somehow uh been, been exempted that we had a different a different status and uh that, that we really had a a duty for uh, uh to uh the people we read about and the people that were uh writing for uh, to, to cover this for, for as long as, as as we could. That was something that Evan felt very strong and still feels very strongly about. Yeah. And and Steve, I imagine that must be a piece of it for you because what what is lost when journalists are unable to cover the government? Yeah, yeah I mean I do you know if you're a Moscow correspondent you want to cover the story from Moscow in an ideal world. And uh, you know, uh, but not everything depends on us, you know, and um, uh, it will be, um, I think, a sad day for myself if I couldn't do that. Mm. Uh, but as I say, it, the situation doesn't depend on me, does it? It depends on the situation going on around me. Um, you know, Max is absolutely right that, it, you know, as much as possible, you want to cover the story from here because you want to speak to ordinary Russians if that is possible, you want to speak to officials, if that is possible, um, and to try and uh, put together a picture of what people here are thinking, both the public and the people running this country. You know, it's the biggest country in the world. Uh, it's a powerful country, a nuclear country, uh, which has um, started a war and invaded uh, a, so a sovereign country, its neighbor. Uh, and as awful as that is, we have to try and understand what's going on here and, and where this is leading and how the world gets out of this. Steve, it feels like Grishkovich's arrest reflects much bigger things. It feels like it's part of a much bigger story. What do you think that is, Steve? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it Grishkovich's arrest fits into the bigger picture here. 
uh, and the bigger picture is uh, of accelerating repression in Russia. When you look at who is being arrested, the kind of charges being leveled at those people who are being detained in Russia, um, the kind of prison sentences being requested by prosecutors and, and being delivered by judges, I think it's clear that the crackdown um, on dissent and on freedom of speech here has a momentum. I mean, only, you know, a few days ago, I think four Russians were arrested on treason charges. And uh, recently, the, the, the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, he was already in jail, of course. He revealed that he's going to be tried again for terrorism. Um, early, uh, last month, another Kremlin critic, uh, Vladimir Karamorza, he was convicted of treason and sentenced to 25 years in prison, a quarter of a century. On the other hand, none of this is, is too surprising. I mean, this was predictable. The Russian authorities uh, have been unable, I think, to control the situation on the battlefield uh, in Ukraine. You know, the war clearly has not gone at all according to plan for the Kremlin. But the one thing it can control for now is the level of domestic repression. And that is clearly being, being cranked up. Do you have any sense of how people in Russia are responding or reacting to the arrest of an American journalist? I think very few people are, are reacting to it. You know, people are too busy um, trying to get through this, trying to survive. You know, uh, life is getting tough. Uh, the economic situation is not easy. Uh, standard of living is going down. Uh, people's incomes are going down. Uh, and really, the fate of an American journalist is not the priority for most Russians. People are very confused by what is happening. Um, yes, there is a portion of the, the Russian public that yes. supports the war in Ukraine, but a lot of people are just confused by what's happening and, and, and fearful. Yeah. Well, Steve Rosenberg, please stay safe and thank you for talking with us. Steve Rosenberg is BBC Moscow correspondent in Moscow now. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. We're talking with celebrated biologist Jonathan Lossis about his love of cats. And he will answer your questions about the weird things your feline friend does if you want to send us your questions or your cat pictures by emailing forum at kqed.org. Today, we are focused on the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who was arrested in late March by Russian officials on false espionage charges. And uh, we're joined by... 
Evan Gershkovich's friend Max Seddon, also Moscow Bureau Chief for the Financial Times. And we're joined by you, our listeners. If you want to share your questions about Evan Gershkovich's situation or about the situation for journalists in Russia and beyond, or your questions or comments about how you think the U.S. should handle this brewing situation, you can email them to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And you can always call us at 866-733-6786, Max, I just want to learn a little bit more about who Evan is. We've been hearing that he's a smart, perceptive reporter who loves Russia. How would you describe him? Evan is, is someone who really just has boundless enthusiasm and and love both both for uh russia the the country where where his his parents are from they immigrated from the soviet union to, to the united states and evan grew, grew up in in new jersey uh and 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 for journalism uh even you know for for the last month while he's been in prison with with very limited access to the outside world evan evan remains a keen student of journalism i would i would lend him i had quite a large uh english language library in moscow of a uh, Nonfiction books by by reporters we we admired uh, many many of which uh, Evan Evan would borrow and uh, his when when he got the job at the Wall Street Journal less than a year and a half ago this this really was his his dream job this this is the thing that Evan had had always wanted wanted to do to to tell these stories uh, about a country that he was endlessly fascinated by and and to bring them to the world Evan was someone who who would spend ex, extra nights in in Siberia covering wildfires to to uh make make sure he got the story right he he was someone where, where you know he 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 started a little later than me i'm a bit older than him but he uh i would i would go to see sources that you know i'd, I'd known for many years and they would start telling me that evan had uh, already of his own accord dropped in on him a week or two earlier and i and i and i felt like i was playing catch up yeah evan evan is someone who has you know the most uh you know um i think desirable quality for any reporter that uh, he he would uh, regularly produce stories that that would uh, uh, elicit uh, this, this a, je- a jealous rage from 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 competitors like <laughs> like us because we hadn't even thought to do them and uh, he uh, had had this great idea and executed it so 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 brilliantly and uh, he he was really doing absolutely invaluable work right uh, up uh, up until the day of his arrest. I understand that he is currently being held in a former KGB jail that is also known as one of Russia's most isolating. And, and if he's convicted, he could face a 20-year prison sentence. Um, when Evan was brought to court, though, last week, he, he smiled. He appeared confident, um, which sort of reflected the tone of the letter that we saw in reporting that he wrote to his family that he is not losing hope. Have you been able to get any kind of message to him? Uh, or if you could, what would you tell him, Max? So uh, it, is, it is possible to to write to Evan. That is one of the few, you know, uh, comparative luxuries that he, that he is afforded in this in this very grim, grim and Spartan prison, the Fortova in Moscow, where where he is being held. Uh, the, the letters have to be all translated into Russian, so so a team of Evan's Russian friends is uh, translating, is translating them. Uh, you you can write them yourself, you know, to to freegershkovich at gmail.com. And uh, Evan Evan said in the first letter that he wrote to to his uh, his his friends, 
that, that, that he's been told in all of his years reporting on, on people being held in Russian prisoners, uh, how, how important it was to, to write to them. But he, but he said that you can't really understand it until you've been in that, in that position yourself. And one, one thing that I think really speaks to what a remarkable guy Evan, Evan is, is, uh, is, is the, the extent to which he's, uh, he's kept his, his, his sense of, of, of humor. Uh, there, there is, uh, no one as, as, a uh, strange as this may, may be a thing to say, there's no one who this could have happened to who uh, would would be able to appreciate the the absurdities of uh, this this situation the way that 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 Evan has. Uh, he he's uh, uh, been been uh, trying to keep up on on media gossip even from where he is. He's been very keenly following uh, the the uh, success of his favorite sports teams, uh, the Mets and uh, Arsenal. Uh, the the Premier League soccer team in 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 England, and uh, he has uh, really really amazingly speaks speaks to what a strong person he has been been able to uh, try try to keep his spirits up and try to keep everyone else's spirits up because this is obviously a uh, very very big blow for his family as well. Have you been in touch with the family? Have you heard about how they're faring? Um, I I will defer on on that to what they they've said in in public. Sure. I, I I will uh, not not say anything that they haven't said themselves. The Wall Street Journal published uh, a nice interview with them. There's a video they you did. you can watch it on their website. They did. Sean writes. In addition to an anti-American element, Sean wants to know: Could there also be an anti-Semitic element in the arrest of Evan Gershkovich? What do you think, Max? I don't don't think that that's necessarily how how they they think. I also don't want to speculate about about the reasons for 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 his 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 arrest. Uh, but but uh, from from the way that Russia has talked about this in 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 the media and officially since, since it happened, uh, the the fact that uh, his American citizenship uh, seems to have been the uh, guiding thing thing here. But I don't want to speculate about the case uh, any more than that. Um. Not so much speculating about the case or the motivations of the Russian government, but can you give us a sense of how they will likely orchestrate this arrest and detention based on previous ones sort of like this? We know that this hasn't been an accredited American journalist in, in some time, but but just in terms of how this will play out with with a conviction and so on. Well, I think we, we can look at the cases of... Uh... Uh, other other Americans who have been imprisoned in in Russia in recent years, as the relationship has has deteriorated. On on the one hand, you have uh, Brittany Griner, the WNBA star. She she was arrested on uh, drug possession charges uh, in uh, February last last year, and by the end of the year, the uh, U.S. managed to exchange her. They had to pay a pretty high price about. Uh, they they uh, sent sent Russia this uh, convicted arms trafficker, Victor Boot. Known as the uh, Merchant of Death, the man's notorious. Nick Cage played him in a movie, uh, but but now she's she's home, and I, I believe she was at the Met Gala with with her wife yesterday. So so things are running up for her. On the other hand, uh, we we do have a case of the American uh, who has been hit with the same charges, uh, much more serious uh, as as Evan uh, Paul Paul Whelan, uh, who who was arrested at the end of 2018, yes. and. Uh, it, it took uh, more more than two years to to convict him. And uh, traditionally, Russia, when they exchange prisoners with, with the U.S., they don't do that until after they've been convicted in, in a Russian court. 
and uh, unfortunately, he is uh, still still in Russian prison uh, more more than four years after his arrest. And according to his family, very very worried, given that uh, Brittany Griner and another American, Trevor Reed, who was a change last year, uh, were arrested after he was and got out before him. He he is worried at at uh, how how much longer he has to stay stay there. So uh, in, in um, obviously every everyone's case is. Is different, but uh, and and that applies to Evans, but that shows you the uh, range of ways uh, things like this have played out in the past. Well, Max, I know you need to leave us as well, and I just want to thank you for coming on and helping us get to know Evan a little bit better and to better understand what he faces. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Max Eden is Moscow Bureau Chief for the Financial Times. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and comments at 866-733-6786 by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And let me tell you who is joining us now. We have Michael Kimmage with us, a professor and history department chair at Catholic University of America. His most recent article for The Wall Street Journal is titled Putin's Rogue State. Professor Kimmage, really glad to have you back with us. So nice to be here with you. And also, Joel Simon is with us, founding director of the Journalism Protection Initiative at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism, City University of New York. Simon is the former director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. Joel Simon, appreciate you being on with us as well. Great to be great to be on with you. Thank you so much. Can you give us a sense of how the U.S. government is responding, what it's done already to respond to Evans' wrongful detention? Is that for Michael? Or? That's for Joel, sorry. Okay, yes. Um, well, I mean, I think what's interesting about the way that the U.S. has responded is what, during my the time I spent at the Committee to Protect Journalists, unfortunately, uh, kidnapping and hostage-taking is an occupational hazard for journalists. Um, and so I spent a lot of time sort of examining this phenomenon. And the U.S. response to... Hostage taking certainly by non-state actors, by terrorist groups, is a no concessions policy, i.e. we don't negotiate. And that policy has come under a lot of pressure in recent years uh, because it really hasn't delivered effective results. But what's interesting is we've, what we're seeing now, and, and the Kovic case is the leading example, is state hostage taking, sometimes called diplomatic hostage taking, in which states actually... Um, take Americans hostage as a, as a point of leverage. And what's really interesting is that I think the Biden administration has turned the playbook on its head in that they're really making a big fuss about this. They're, 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 they're talking about um, how important uh, uh, Evan Gershkovich is, how wrong this is, what a threat it is to press freedom and to journalists around the world. They did something very important, which they uh, designated him as uh, an unlawful detainee, which opens a fast track for negotiations within the State Department. This is not the standard playbook. The standard playbook is we don't negotiate. We You don't talk about this because the more you talk about it, the more the price goes up. Right. But um, I think that there, I think it's, you know, I, frankly, I think it's, the correct approach, because um, in this instance, uh, the Russians are very much aware of the value that Evan Gershkovich has. They've already negotiated uh, for the release of two uh, two swaps with uh, Brittany Griner and with Trevor Reed. So I think uh, the Biden administration has really been quite 
public and quite outspoken in why this matters and why they need to engage with the Russians and why uh, they're working hard to bring Evan Gershkovich home. Michael Kimmage, what impact does that have or do you think it will have on Russia to see the Biden administration taking this kind of different approach as Joel is describing? Well, I think that, um, you know, in a, in a certain way, the uh, the case from a Russian vantage point is a bit of a blip when it comes to the uh, to the war, which is the major uh, issue. So there's not maybe a great deal that revolves uh, around it. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's meant to be humiliating for the U.S. Uh, and to make, put the put, to put the U.S. in an awkward uh, position, make it seem like the Biden administration is scrambling uh, to do something with Putin sort of in the driver's seat. And I think he likes the uh, the optics of that. But, um, you know, I think it's still from a Russian vantage point, uh, uh, as, as, as some were saying earlier, uh, a bit of a sideshow. Well, uh, let me go to caller Phil in Burlingame, who's on the line. Hi, Phil. Join us. What's your question? Hi, what a, a wonderful uh, show. You know, can we talk about the broader context of this? Um, it, it seems to me that we're in World War III. Um and that you journalists are like in Stalin Russia, you know, it's, it, there's a state of war in which NATO is pitched against, um, you know, Russia. Remember the Ribbentrop-Molotov uh, that when Germany invaded Poland eight days later under an agreement with Stalin, the Russians invaded Poland. And here, you know, the Russians are invading, you know, Europe again. And could you set this within the wider context mm. of, of war objectives? Yeah, yeah. And what if this is World War Three? Such a great question, and we have exactly the two people to do that with us. First of all, Joel Simon, Phil was saying that it feels like journalists have become enemies of the state at a time that reminds them of, like, the World War War Two era. What is the situation for journalists right now? We are hearing more and more that they are in greater peril. Yeah, well, actually, uh, I just came from the United Nations this morning because uh, they're celebrating World Press Freedom Day. It's the 30th anniversary. This is a U.N.-designated uh, sort of celebration, if you will, of press freedom. And, uh, you know, the, 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 there were some important speeches and the, you know, President Biden has been talking about this as well. I mean, the, the, um, the situation is grim. Um, more journalists are imprisoned around the world than at any time in recent history. Um, press freedom is a decline as part of the general uh, democratic recession uh, in nearly every country around the world. Uh, I just did a report on legal threats to uh, journalists, which are which are mounting. So it's part of a broader, um, you know, Russia has a particular strategy. It's just one example of the way in which modern conflict is is. Um, fought, and they very much see the information space as part of the battlefield where they're competing. And so journalists um, are adversaries in that information space. And uh, it's worth noting, I've made many, many trips to Russia in my CPJ capacity. And of course, it's Russian journalists who are bearing uh, the, the brunt of this repression. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, every every independent source of information right now is a threat to um, Putin's narrative, both domestically and globally. And so uh, journalists are in the crosshairs. 
Well, this listener writes, does Russia actually believe that taking a journalist hostage will make the U.S. change its support for Ukraine? It seems like they just want to get their worst prisoners back. Under Trump, the U.S. seemed to have an aggressive policy to get hostages back. Is Biden building on that? There are a couple of of questions there um, that are making me think of questions for you, Michael. First of all, what does Russia believe is the strategic benefit to them of taking journalists hostage. I imagine it's not necessarily that it will make the U.S. change its support for Ukraine. No, I think that there would be no expectation of that. I think that to do so in such an arbitrary manner, you know, sort of randomly selecting somebody who obviously did nothing wrong, (laughs) it has a certain efficiency from the Russian side. uh, And the intended effect is to intimidate. Uh, And so the question that you asked Steve at the beginning of the uh, of the hour, whether he feels comfortable reporting from uh, from Moscow, that's uh, already a kind of psychological effect that these actions uh, have. And a lot of journalists have moved uh, since the arrest of Evan have moved out of the uh, out of the country. So it's that much harder to report on Russia. It's that much harder to get the word out. Those who are there are going to have to, I think, second guess uh, a little bit how they proceed. And that is uh, for Putin a strategic benefit. It's a way of controlling an information space that's much more unruly than it was during the Soviet Union and certainly than it was in the 1920s and 30s. So there is information that Putin can't control, but uh, he's going to use these intimidation tactics to to gain the edge as far as he can. And in addition, um, Joel Simon, this listener is saying that it seems like Putin wants to get their worst prisoners back. And certainly in reading you know, analyses by experts, they're basically saying that the press attention that Evan Gershkovich's case is getting is actually beneficial to Russia in the sense that it will put pressure on the White House to negotiate and may put the Russian government in a better negotiating position. Um, What is your response to that? I imagine regardless, it is still worth um, putting a lot of attention and putting a lot of pressure on the White House to continue to try to get Evan back, in your view? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're a member of his family or you're his media organization or you're his, you're, you're his friend, you know, you want uh, you want a deal and you want a deal as, as, as quickly as possible. I think it's absolutely clear that this kind of attention has no impact whatsoever on Russia or Russia's position. But it does, you know, uh, make clear to uh, the Biden administration that, you know, Evan is really important. Um and uh, there's a lot of attention on 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 his uh, uh, you know his arrest, uh, but you know it's going it's going to be uh, challenging challenging for the president because he 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 has to figure out a deal or the administration does that's going to bring back uh, Gerskovich and Paul Whelan. Mm-hmm. I mean there've been two two Americans. Uh, who were arrested after Paul Whelan, who come home. Yes, and, we'll um, say more so about Paul right after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?! 
You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who was arrested in late March by Russian officials on false espionage charges. And looking now at the broader context of this and what his arrest represents with Joel Simon, founding director of the Journalism Protection Initiative at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism, with Michael Kimmage, professor and history department chair at Catholic University of America, who specializes on Russia. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation at 866-733-6786 with your questions or comments about Evan Gershkovich's situation, about the situation in Russia, about how the U.S. is handling these kinds of wrongful detainments and hostage-taking situations. Um, You can email forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum as well. The listener writes, is there anything a regular person can do to help with the release of Evan and Paul Whelan? And Joel, I don't know if you have some thoughts on that. I I think the most important thing, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, the lessons I learned in the time that I spent at the Committee to Protect Journalists is that the strategy of people, the, 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 the states that hold people in prison under these circumstances is to try and isolate them, to try and think there's nobody out there that cares about them, that 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 is fighting for their release. So figuring we, we have an opportunity in Evan's case, which is that his friends have done something really wonderful, which is provide a way for, for people to write to him and they translate those letters into Russian and they get them to him. That is a meaningful contribution. So communicating with Evan and then speaking out. Um, you know, usually I don't advocate, you know, speaking out on social media doesn't really make that much of a difference. But in this instance, I think it is important uh, to keep their names um, in the public. So those are two things that people can can do who want to help. Yeah. Michael Kimmage, what do you think the audacity to arrest an accredited American journalist reflects about where Putin is right now, his thinking or maybe even his relative power at the moment? And I think Steve put it very well earlier that uh, there are no limits uh, and there are no rules, which does make the conflict different from most ages of the of the Cold War when there was a high degree of tension, but a kind of etiquette and a procedure between Washington and Moscow with a lot of these things. And that seems to be uh, gone. So I think he wants us to believe that he's capable of anything. Uh, and perhaps he wants to project an image of himself to the Russian people as uh, as all powerful, I doubt that most Russians believe that Evan is, is sort of guilty as charged. They probably know that Putin is acting with impunity, and that, in a sort of sinister fashion, might be the uh, that the point might be the point that uh, a lot is indeed not going well for Russia on the battlefield. But where Russia does exert power, it's going to do so very forcefully. That's that's the message I would take from this. What about the fact that he is so determined to repress any criticism of the war, for example, and the lengths that he's gone to? You pointed out in a recent piece that uh, there was a man who was sentenced to two years in prison, Alexei Moskalev, if I'm saying his name correctly, Moskalev, after his 12-year-old daughter drew an anti-war picture in school. While that does reflect that he has a lot of power, it also seems to me reflect that he's very fearful of any kind of criticism. That's, of course, true. I mean, it speaks to the brittleness of these kinds of dictatorial regimes, and I think that that's the right phrase for Russia uh, at this uh, at this point, but what I would underscore into this in the in the piece that you mentioned is the arbitrariness of this. Yes. It's not as if it's absolute blanket repression as there was perhaps in the late 1930s in the Soviet Union, 
it's isolated cases, but it's isolated cases that reverberate uh, and that spread fear and in some cases terror throughout uh, Russian society. So I think you could sort of say it's Stalinism on the cheap or sort of Stalinism uh, on a kind of minimal plan at this point, but each month it gets uh, larger and larger, the waves of repression. Uh, and so where we are six months from now could be in a much uh, darker place, I'm afraid to say. But, uh, you know, it's these pinpoint efforts, but uh, they really do pack a punch uh, in aggregate. And I, I know it's hard to predict, but I'm just curious if you have any thoughts that you think you can share now about what that might look like in terms of just our global situation, the the global stability of, of the West versus versus Russia or, or the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. Well, it's a paradoxical story because in many ways, Russia has already failed with its war, certainly judged by its own initial criteria on the 24th of February 2022. Russia has really not achieved much, uh, and they spent the last five months uh, failing to take a city of 70,000 people in eastern Ukraine, Bakhmut, uh, which really doesn't you know, augur well for the Russian military. So in some ways, uh, what, what we've experienced is uh, a kind of Russian catastrophe. Uh, on the battlefields of Ukraine. That's nothing to celebrate, but uh, it's an index uh, of uh, how limited Russian power is. On the other hand, you know, Russia remains an enormous country with a nuclear arsenal, and this degree of repressiveness uh, is a very, very bad sign. Uh, indeed, it's uncontrollable, uh, and Putin does seem to be uh, out of control. And so, you know, sort of defeat and failure are something I think that uh, the White House certainly wishes for when it comes uh, to Russia, but defeat and failure in the context of such oppressiveness uh, is is simply an ominous thing, uh, and it's within those two poles that we have to continue thinking about Russia. Yeah. Well, Tweet tweets to take a somewhat different perspective here. How can the Biden administration convert this situation to our advantage, given the fact that Putin is obviously desperate? Um, I don't know if if you agree that Putin is obviously desperate, but I, I do wonder. Joel Simon, your thoughts on how Biden can convert this situation to our advantage as someone who's really looked at hostage-taking situations? Well, I mean, the, I, I don't think there's any there's any advantage uh, that uh, the Biden administration can, uh, you know, look to achieve. Um, I mean, I will say this about um, hostage situations, whether they're um, uh, carried out by states or whether they're carried out by criminal or terror groups is, you know, one one expert sort of described to me is that, you know, they're political dynamite and hostage uh, situations can evolve in really unpredictable ways politically. And so that, uh, you know, governments that have that have sort of sort of assume that these things will sort of manage themselves uh, have gotten really badly uh, injured, if you will. So I think it's it's positive that the administration is projecting publicly, that it's engaged and it's doing what it can. And uh, and I think the, the goal is, is quite simple. It's probably going to take time. There's probably going to be the legal uh, process that we heard about er, uh, earlier on. Uh, but hopefully, you know, once that process is concluded, uh, there could be a swift deal and mm -hmm. Evan can come home. You have talked about how the best thing that the U.S. can pursue around these situations, while it's also simultaneously trying to get Evan Gershkovich and Paul Whelan out, is to try to make it so that these situations don't happen to begin with, that it deters these kinds of yeah. arrests. How is it supposed to do that? 
Well, it's very difficult to do. I mean, the, the, the key framework uh, to think about hostage taking is that, you know, you're really on two tracks. The first track is to get the uh, hostage uh, released safely. And then the second track is you know, deterrence. And there, the, there's a new uh, piece of legislation called the Levinson Act, which both uh, gives the uh, president and the State Department new authorities, both to negotiate, but also to uh, impose sanctions or take other message to, messages uh, to deter the crime. But, you know, one thing that's very interesting, I talked to some senior FBI uh, folks and some people in the Justice Department, uh, former uh, uh, pr prosecutors in the Justice Department. I mean, to the extent that the Gershkovich uh, uh, arrest was a pre-planned effort to um, uh, extract concessions, which is what it appears to be, that it's probably a violation of U.S. law. Uh, you know, the implications of that are unclear, but there are very there's a very specific law that makes it a crime for states or anybody to specifically uh, target Americans and hold them hostage uh, with the intention of extracting concessions. So it's just another way of thinking about just how outrageous mm -hmm. and extreme uh, the Russian actions are in the Gershkovich case. But that sounds extremely risky to me, Michael Kimmage, with someone like uh, Vladimir Putin to, to charge him to take a stronger stand and and charge with a with a crime, especially for hostage taking, just curious what you think the risks would be of that well, kind of a move. In a sense, it's already happened. I mean, the International yeah, Criminal so, yeah. Court has declared <laughs> right. has declared Putin a a war criminal, and you've gotten corroborating arguments from uh, the White House. I don't think it makes much of a difference to Putin himself, and there's really no diplomatic relationship to speak of between the United States. And Russia, so there's really not much for Putin to lose uh, in that regard. You know, I don't think that shame is going to take you anywhere at the at the moment with uh, with Putin. I think other forms of leverage, uh, or probably just the trade that hopefully will eventually happen uh, in Evans' case, that's probably the easiest way forward. Well, this listener writes, maybe it's just me, but it feels like there's a different reaction to Griner's arrest and Gertkovich's arrest. Both were arrested on false charges. But it seems like the American public opinion was split about the swap to get Griner out. I do not hear that kind of concern with possible swaps for Evan. Does the fact Evan is a reporter make a difference? Or was it because Brittany was a black woman? There were certainly differences. You also alluded to some of them, Joel Simon, with the quietness that people initially had around uh, Griner's arrest, in part because there was this idea that to be quieter was better, though we quickly learned that that was not better, and, and you explained why. But do you want to talk about some of the differences that this listener is pointing out, which I, I, I have heard yeah. from others as well? Yeah, well, well look, I mean, uh, I think there's a couple of very complicated di dynamics going on here. I mean, the first thing to realize is precisely because Evan Gershkovich is a journalist working for a major media organization, uh, the, the media itself rallied and united. And, and, and also we had the lesson of the uh, Griner uh, trade. And the less, one of the lessons was publicity is your friend. So, you know, I think that uh, Cheryl Griner 
Uh, I've done some reporting. You know, they were she like she was a little bit conflicted, and the family was conflicted as well. They were getting contradictory advice: should they go public? Should they be quiet? Yeah. Uh, but but here the consensus was make a lot of noise, and you have key, uh, very important allies in that effort, which is the media itself. So that's the fundamentally uh, different dynamic. I also think that certainly there were uh, there was the dynamic of race. Uh, played a played a role in uh, Griner's case, and, and there were some uh, people, particularly in the Republican Party, who criticized the deal, and they, um, you know, spoke about uh, you know Griner's pol- politics in a way that I think was a sort of code uh, for race. So I think both dynamics uh, are in play, but the fundamental dynamic is that uh, Gershkovich is in the media, and the media has rallied. Uh, behind him in a way that it has really changed the, the, the dynamic. Hmm. So many lessons around this kind of a situation. We're talking about Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Grishkovich's arrest and what it reflects. And this is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This listener writes, I cannot imagine what Evans' family and friends are going through in the family of Paul Whelan and the families of other hostages as well. Does Paul Whelan have similar access to writing his family and friends? Yes, as you say, Whelan has been there for so long on very serious charges. He has not had the same level of publicity that uh, Grishkovich's case has had already and, and Griner's case as well that it that it got. What are the hopes for Whelan here, Joel Simon? Well, I mean, I've, I've been in touch with uh, with um, Paul's sister, Elizabeth, and I think it's it's incredibly painful what they've going through because there've been two swaps and he's been left behind. And there is a perception, you know, that Brittany Griner is a famous athlete, um, and Evan Grishkovich is, you know, a, a, a well-known journalist with powerful media organization behind him, and there just isn't uh, as as much attention, uh, and that's frustrating. And, and you can imagine how the family feels. Um, they do have um, access to to him occasionally through phone calls. I don't believe there's a, 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 a such a straightforward way of getting him letters, but I imagine that it is possible. Um, and uh, and the, the other thing that has happened, though, that's shifted from, the, from the, the four years in which he's been in prison is they do have better access to senior leadership within the uh, Biden administration. Uh, they are engaged and, uh, you know, they're, they're, so there's, there's more dialogue, more support for the family. And I think that's meaningful. Yeah, I, they've been so gracious. I was struck by a statement I believe his brother gave after Brittany Griner's return, saying that he was happy for Griner, even if it meant that his brother had to remain just to be able to get one person out. Um, Michael Kimmage, of course, Russia's foreign minister, has hinted at a prisoner swap. Do you have any sense of who they're interested in, how that could play out? I, I don't. Uh, the one thing I would note, though, is that the espionage charge levied against uh, Evan, uh, and it's different from the charge that was levied against Brittany uh, Griner will make uh, it more difficult for yeah, I think hers was drug Russia smuggling. to release Evan, yeah. and and it will make it slower. I, I think it will happen at some point, and I don't know who the Russians will ask for. I assume uh, they'll drive a very hard bargain, but the espionage element is going to make all of this stickier, unfortunately. Would you say in this situation that Russia wields a lot more power, a lot more leverage? A lot more leverage than, than, the, US. Uh, than the U.S., I think, by definition, because they've got... 
the person that uh, that the U.S. wants, and so uh, the U.S. is in the position of asking, and, and Russia is in the position of of granting. Which, going back to Putin's motives for doing something so awful, uh, is part of the explanation. Well, the Zisner writes, if an accredited journalist is not safe in Russia, is anyone? Are there many Americans left in Russia? Who are they? Um, Joel, you, you feel free to answer that. And if you also want to just give our listeners a broader sense of just how many are out there and how few actually have the U.S. designation of a wrongful, not just journalists, but other political prisoners of a wrongful detainment. It's not an easy thing to get. Yeah, I mean, I think Michael's much more qualified to talk about you know, the, the presence of Americans in Russia. I'm really focused on journalists. There's only a handful. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you spoke with uh, one of them, uh, of international journalists who are still uh, operating inside Russia because it's become uh, incredibly risky. But, you know, in terms of the broader, the, the other question you asked about the, uh, you know, the number of unlawful detentions, the... Uh, uh, James Foley Foundation, which is named after the uh, journalist who was uh, kidnapped and murdered in Syria and is, is run by, uh, is first founded by his, his mother and supported by his family, documents the number of hostages, including uh, unlawful uh, detainments of, of, of Americans around the world. They estimate they're around 60. I think that's a pretty good estimate. So there's, there's um, about 60 journalists, six, not journalists, 60 Americans around the world who are unlawfully detained at the moment. That's a reasonable estimate. Yeah. You've already alluded to this, and we're at the end of the hour, Michael Kimmich, but just characterize for us where, especially after given this recent incident with Evan Krishkovich, you put the U.S.-Russia relationship, how you would characterize it now. Well, it's probably as bad as it's ever been, including the early 1980s and including the eight years when of uh, eight years of the Cold War when Stalin was 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 in power. I mean, there's no dialogue. Um, there are very few levers of influence. I mean, I think there are a few back channels, and there's obviously uh, an enormously tense uh, standoff and situation uh, over uh, over Ukraine. So you know, tragically, Evans' story, the story of this bright young person, you know, fits into a wider geopolitical context of extraordinary, extraordinary tension. Uh, he's not a symbol of that. He's a real human being. But as a real human being, he does uh, at the same time tell us this larger story of how tense and how difficult and how troubling things are. Yeah, he embodies this larger story. Michael Kamich, professor and history department chair at Catholic University of America. Thank you, as always. Thank you so much for having me. Joel Simon, founding director of Journalism Protection of the Journalism Protection Initiative at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism, City University of New York. My thanks to you as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And such gratitude to Max Seddon, Moscow Bureau Chief of the Financial Times, a good friend of Evan Grishkovich, and Steve Rosenberg, BBC Moscow correspondent and Russia editor for the BBC, currently in Moscow. My thanks to them for joining us. My thanks to Grace Wan for producing today's segment and to you, our listeners, for your questions and comments. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, 
The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. 